We're in a series about, the, about God's redemptive kindness in the book of Ruth, and it's our last week. I know, that's so sad. I know everyone's weeping because you want it to go on for a year. We're in chapter four, though, and I just want to bring out what's happened over the last few weeks in case you've missed it. Just really quick, uh, it's a love story. It's a love story on two levels. One, a, a, a people, right? Boaz and Ruth coming together, but it's also a divine love story about Jesus Christ and us. And in chapter one, we saw that there was a famine in the land of Judah, and from the town of Bethlehem was Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, and their two kids. And they leave to seek refuge from the famine, and they go to Moab. And in Moab, Elimelech dies, and then soon after, Naomi's two sons get married her sons die. And so Naomi's just given this, this terrible trial that's come her way, and she's very upset and bitter. But one of her daughter-in-laws, Ruth, shows unbelievable loyalty and commitment to Naomi. And so she says, I want to go back uh, to Bethlehem in, in God's territory where you are, worship your people, worship, or be with your people, worship your God, right? And she shows this unbelievable loyalty. And so the chapter ends with them going back to Judah, because God has been compassionate and visited his people there. Then in chapter 2, Ruth goes to glean in a field. Uh, God set up this, this law and this rule where poor people could, could come and, and provide for themselves with dignity and work and gather food, and so that's what Ruth is doing. But we see God's providence, that, that he leads her specifically to Boaz's field. And, and Boaz is not just any random dude. Boaz is a family relative, a close family relative of Naomi and Elimelech. And so he's a kinsman redeemer. This word that's used about 23 times in the book of Ruth, it's called goel in Hebrew. It's a family redeemer. And we see that Boaz is going to play this critical role. And so chapter 2 ends with the, the, the ladies celebrating and rejoicing. And then chapter 3, last week, took place on the threshing floor. Naomi and Ruth, they come up with this plan. And so they go, and it's this, this midnight maneuver, and, and Ruth lays down at, at Boaz's feet at midnight as he's guarding his grain that he's worked for, and this plan starts to unfold. And, and Boaz sees her. They handle this with integrity. Boaz is delighted to see her. We see that Boaz likes Ruth. His eye is on Ruth. He wants to redeem her as, his, as the goel, but it ends with a little bit of a twist, and that is that there is a near relative who is actually maybe supposed to be Ruth's Goel. And so this Boaz has to present Ruth to this other guy, right? Who is this other guy? We're going we're to learn about the other guy this morning, but we're going to see our story in today with God's just abundant blessing. That's the main idea, is our Redeemer brings abundant blessing to those who trust in him. Man, our Redeemer brings abundant blessing to those who trust in Him. If you get out your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4, Ruth is the eighth book in the Old Testament. Ruth chapter 4, we're going to start with verses 1 through 6. And as you turn there, I've tried up to this point to, to start to unfold that as Boaz is Naomi and Ruth's kinsman redeemer, so Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. And that's going to play out more this morning. Ruth chapter 4, if you're able to stand, let's stand as we honor God's word. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took two men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. 
So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Father, uh, this morning, would you speak to our hearts? God, would you help us approach this text with humility, God? And would your spirit move in power as you speak to each of us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So Boaz doesn't waste any time here. Boaz means strength or swift, and Boaz acts swiftly, maybe the very next morning from where we left off in our last chapter, right? Ruth meets him at midnight, maybe this just the very next morning, hours after Ruth leaves with her ephahs of barley, right? Boaz goes to the city gate. He goes to the city gate, and the city gate is the place to be. This is where the action happened. If you think about it, we have so many different avenues of communication today, right? Social media, the internet, email, phone calls, text messages, all these different ways to communicate with people. But back then, they didn't have any of that. So if you wanted to find out what was going on, you went to the city gate, right? That's where the action was. That's where decisions got made. Think of it kind of like a city council or courthouse today. Many of the elders or esteemed men would, would gather there. And so Boaz goes to the city gate, and it says this other nearer redeemer, near Goel, happens to be there. It says he came by. And Boaz greets him, essentially saying, Mr. So-and-so. I find that kind of interesting, because I'm sure Boaz knew his name, but he just, and he probably even called him by his name. But the author chooses to leave this guy's name out of it, maybe because he's unworthy for not fulfilling his, his redeemer duties. But because we don't know his name, we're just going to call him Mr. So-and-so this morning, all right? Say that with me. Mr. So-and-so. That's right. Mr. So-and-so. So Boaz greets him. Mr. So-and-so is there. And Boaz recruits 10 elders to come and be witnesses. This is really wise. Boaz is saying, hey, I want other people to witness what's happening here. I want everything to be in the light. I don't want there to be any miscommunication about what goes down. Ruth is too important. I want there to be clear clarity, next steps. This conversation needs to be in the light. And I just think that's really good advice for you this morning is, is when you have uh, big decisions or there are struggles you have, whatever it is, get things in the light. There's so many things happening today in our culture where there's just moral corruption and failure and then cover up. You think about this happening in politics. You think about this happening in the business world. All these people who are falling. You think about pastors and these cover-ups. I hope you know and I hope you feel genuinely blessed and encouraged that at Fox Valley Church, everything is out in the light. There is nothing that we are trying to hide. Everything is out in the light. That's how we operate. That is what Boaz is doing. Let's get it out there. And he starts this, I'm going to call it a pitch, he starts his pitch to Mr. So-and-so, and he frames it as a property transaction. He, he frames it as there is land to be taken. And this is an agrarian culture. So wealth is food, land, right, and, and workers. I mean, that is what it means to be wealthy. So he would have been very interested in purchasing this property. And he doesn't hesitate. 
he says, I will redeem it. And I think the author, the narrator, wants us to kind of gasp here, like, no, right? We don't know this guy. What about Ruth and Boaz? Now he's saying, I'm going to do it. We don't want you to do it, right? We want Boaz to be the one to redeem it. And I can imagine that Ruth and Naomi, they are watching. I mean, come on. you got to believe it. It's the city gate. It's a public area. And Ruth is finding out who she is going to marry. She's probably watching with Naomi, clenching her jaw, right, holding on tightly to her hand, waiting for the result. And this guy says, I will redeem it. But then in verse 5, Boaz drops the next part that he's not only dealing with the property of Elimelech, but he also had to deal with Ruth. See, Boaz has a strategy here. He's swift in the way he comes about this. He gathers witnesses, and he's tactical. He throws this pitch that looks too good to be true, right? And then all of a sudden, there's a curve. Because he wants to find out the intentions of this guy, and we know that Boaz wants Ruth. How many of you played baseball? Anyone play baseball growing up? Nice. What a fun game to play. I miss playing baseball. And you know, if you're batting, and you get a pitch, it looks like a slow fastball. And you're like, man, I'm going to crush this ball, right? And all of a sudden, the curve comes at the end and you whiff. I wish that didn't happen as many times in my career as it did. But that, that's what Boaz said. He throws this curveball. It's not just a property transaction. In fact, this is going to have a heavy implication, the second part, a heavy implication for Mr. So-and-so, that he would marry Ruth, a Moabite woman, who the author, again, is reminding us she's a foreigner, she's a Moabite, she doesn't belong, And he's going to have children. He would have children with Ruth and divide his estate to more kids. And so he's like, no, man, I I cannot redeem this for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. What most scholars believe is happening here is this guy already had a wife. He already had kids. Things were lined up, right? He brings home another wife. At best, it's awkward, right? (laughs) At best, And now he's going to tell his kids, and i got to divide your own inheritance, which I've already figured out, with more future kids. He's like, no, 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 no. The property sounded good, but I cannot fulfill this role. That's too much of a sacrifice. That is too much to deal with. And so he declines. And let's see now how Boaz responds, continuing on with verse 7. If you turn with me back to the text, verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction... The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Melon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Melon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10, describe what's happening here. When when a kinsman redeemer failed to follow through on his obligation, he had the right by law to not follow through, but it was looked down upon, it was frowned upon. 
And so what would happen is uh, uh, someone would take the, or he would take the sandal off of his foot. So in our situation, I'll just put it in, in the context of Ruth. This is what would happen. Ruth would have spit in Mr. So-and-so's face and said, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 25 talks about. They drop the spitting part, probably because Ruth is just too kind of a woman, right? She's like, I'm not going to do the spitting part. But th- this removal of the sandal by this other redeemer, it sounds odd to us, but you know how in cultural context, things are just received differently. As we just heard from the Eagles coach from Brazil, there's just different things in culture that are accepted or that are strange. For us, we wave to people or we shake their hand. In other, in other contexts around the world, they're like, why are you flapping this thing in my face, right? There's different ways to communicate, and this was one. This would have been a little bit more normal for them to take the sandal off. And he says, buy it for yourself. That's what he says to Boaz. And Boaz proclaimed to the elders and all the people, you are my witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, all that belonged to Kilian and to Melon, and also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Melon, I have bought to be my wife. God's abundant blessing brings redemption. God's abundant blessing brings redemption. That's what's happening here. Boaz is officially redeeming Ruth. He's giving her a future. He's giving her a hope, a a life of, of a childless widow, a destitute life to one with potential and future. In Ephesians 1, 7, Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. God God has redeemed us by dying on the cross for our sins, and now we are free people. Like Ruth, we're no longer uh, in a destitute position. We're free people. I mean, I think about that song that we sing sometimes. Uh, It's, we're free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. Yes, we're free, free, forever, amen. When death was arrested and my life began. It's beautiful, right? I should be a worship leader or something like that. (laughs) Redemption is a blessing from the Lord. And we see this, this want to in Boaz. He wants Ruth. He's showing a public display of love for Ruth. He's not afraid to say it in front of others. There's no hidden courthouse marriage here. He wants people to witness it. It seems in our culture today, more and more people like want to do a, a marriage more in like a private type of way. You know, like, like, let me just get married with my husband underneath a tree with no one there just before me and God, right? You know, and I think there's something lacking there's something sad about love that doesn't want to be on display. There's something sad about a love that doesn't want to proclaim itself. I think about young women, like girls, and you're dating this guy, and he wants to do all these things with you physically, and he's not even willing to, like, say that you're my girlfriend publicly. Like, leave that guy in a heartbeat, right? I mean, come on, women, I think you want a man who's not afraid to say, that is my woman. I'm not talking about... a crazy display of public affection, okay? I'm not saying kissy, touchy-feely, but when it comes down to it, a man who's willing to say, that is my woman, on display. That's what Boaz is doing, and, and just the, the similarity with Jesus Christ, right? Jesus was not afraid to put his love on display. I mean, he came with a purpose. He made his purpose known. I'm here to preach the kingdom. No one gets to the Father except through me, and ultimately displayed that love for us on the cross. Man, he made his love public. 
And Boaz is, is doing that. And then the reaction of the people is awesome. It's awesome. They say, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming in your house like Rachel and Leah. It's Jacob's two wives, remember? And they have 13 kids and become and birth the nation of Israel. This is such a blessing. It's turning into this, this celebration. There's rejoicing happening. The city gate is the place to be, right? It's like you went for a walk, and next thing you know, it's a marriage ceremony, and there's rejoicing happening. <clears throat> when I officiate weddings, I say this every single time to the people who are at the wedding. I say, you are not merely spectators. You are witnesses. And it's part of your responsibility to come around this couple as they enter into this covenant marriage that reflects Jesus in the church and to help them and to serve them and come alongside of them. And then what happens? There's usually dancing and celebration and rejoicing as, as they celebrate all that God is doing in this union. And that's what I am picturing happening here. God's abundant blessing brings rejoicing. My second point this morning, God's abundant blessing brings rejoicing. It will result in rejoicing. In Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Now, some of you may not sense that or feel that. I've had many mornings, and I'm not sensing the rejoicing. Or I, I can't see God's loving hand actually providing me to rejoice. I'm barely even getting by. And I just want to encourage you, if you find yourself there today, think about Ruth in chapter 1. She left her native land. She left her family. She left her best chance of marriage to follow God. She put God first, left everything else, and God is blessing her more than she could have ever imagined bring her into this relationship with Boaz. He's providing for her. And if we follow Ruth's example, if you orient your life around Jesus Christ, these other things are going to fall into place. Even if it doesn't feel like it, even if you don't sense the rejoicing, it will result in that. A.W. Tozer says this, as God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved all at once. I love how simple the Bible makes things sometimes. <laughs> What's the scripture backing to, to this quote? It's Matthew 6, verse 33. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. Faithfully follow God each day where he has you, right? Now, what does this mean practically? We all, well, if you're a believer in Jesus, you know this is something you're supposed to do. Seek God first. But what does that actually mean? Well, I think a good start is when you wake up, get your knees on the floor, right? When you wake up, get your knees on the floor to pray, God, help me honor my parents. God, help me parent my kids in a way that brings you glory. God, help me serve my wife or my husband in a way that, that is honoring to you, in a way that's going to bring joy and peace in my home. God, help me serve other people and their needs above my own. None of these things come naturally to us. We have to ask the Spirit of God to do these things. And we have the Spirit, so walk in the Spirit, right? Keep in step with the Spirit. Listen to what God wants you to do. For me, this past week, this is what it very practically looked like. Friday, my kids woke up early. And that we were reading Luke chapter 9 as our devotion. That's part of the Bible reading plan. If you're not in, the, in a Bible reading plan, you need to get in our Bible reading plan. It's great. 
And Luke chapter 9, if you read it, that is not a passage you listen to or read while you feed your kids breakfast. Amen? That, there's so many things happening that Luke is trying to bring us into. And so I had a very sad time in the Word. And, and I, I dropped my kids off, and, I, and we came to church. Or my, my wife actually dropped the kids off, but I helped them out the door, and I came to work. And my first thought was, i got to work on my sermon. i got to get to a place where I'm so confident, this is what God's saying. And, and I just was like, you know what? I didn't even spend time with them. And I know you can spend time with them preparing for a sermon. I'm not trying to say those are totally exclusive. But I needed to sit at Jesus' feet. So I spent an hour in the prayer room just trying to practice what I preach, right? Studying Luke chapter 9 and asking God to help me be more Christ-like. When you wake up, get on your knees and ask God to help you do these things. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. All right, I, I want to keep us moving in our text. Let's keep going. Verses 13 through 17. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. They become husband and wife, and bam, they have a baby. I mean, isn't it amazing? You wait on the Lord. That's what Ruth was doing at the end of chapter 3. Wait on the Lord, and all of a sudden, God's plans start to be visible and unfold so rapidly. I think of an analogy of, of when you drive downtown. It's like 40 miles away from here. You drive into the sh- Chicago. You drive into the city. And on a cloudy day, you can't see anything. 20 miles in, 30 miles in, sometimes even 35 miles in. But all of a sudden, you get close enough, you break the fog, Bam, there's the sky, this amazing, beautiful skyline. Isn't that how God works sometimes? You just wait. When are you ever going to do something? And all of a sudden, Ruth now has a husband. She has a son. Things are moving so quickly as she was trusting in the Lord, right? She's living palms up. We talk about that at Fox Village. Palms up, a life of full surrender. If you feel like your life is, is boring at all, let me tell you, a life of full surrender is not short of excitement a life of full surrender, you are going to talk to people, you are going to do things, give away things, all kind of stuff that you would never do if you weren't living full surrender. It is so exciting. You're going to meet, I've met some of my best friends because of living on mission, doing things I did not want to do, right? God has such an exciting life. And And that's what Ruth is happening, right? All these ups and downs, but God is ultimately providing. We say this at Fox Valley Church, the best life on this side of eternity is to surrender your time, your treasure, your talents, your hopes and dreams to the plans and purposes of God. The best life. Before you meet Jesus one day, the best life is to surrender all these things. All that I have is yours, God. So let me ask you, you're my church family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. How are you doing with this? Your treasure, what are you doing with your money? Are you, are you giving it to kingdom things? Are you giving it to Fox Valley? Are there causes that honor God around the world? Or are you keeping it? Well, what are you doing with your time? Are you investing in people? Are you making disciples? What are you doing with your talents? If you have a gift and you're not serving at Fox Valley Church, 
The Bible talks about us being the body of Christ. We're lacking because you're not stepping out in faith and using your gift. The best life on this side of eternity is to surrender to God. And God is using Boaz to give Ruth this best life. As, as Ruth is surrendering, God's providing for her in this amazing way with the birth of a son. What God has done here is he's taken the full surrender of a Gentile woman and he's brought new life. The beginning of our story started with death. And now God turns it to life. Isn't that how our God works? He takes brokenness and, and devastation and, and death and he brings it to light. That's our, my last point this morning is God's abundant blessing brings radiant life, joyful life. In this case, in our story, physical life. Boaz is able to provide for Ruth through the birth of a son. But God promises to give us new life spiritually. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And in John 10, 10, Jesus says, I came to give you life and to give it abundantly. God blesses you and me with new life. And I I hope you see how the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, right, is showing us what Jesus Christ has done for us. I want to make it even more clear. Isaiah 54, verses 4 through 8, Isaiah in a prophecy says this, Do not fear, for you will not be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, for the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit. With everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Amen? Amen. Amen. From eternity, God had planned to bring Ruth to Bethlehem to provide a kinsman redeemer for us and thus be the entry point for our future kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you're asking, What does the life of Ruth have to do with me, July 24th, 2022? I'm glad you asked. It's that God extends his mercy and kindness to you. He's willing and he's able to redeem you. God has extended his mercy and kindness. The truth is, you are Ruth, you are Ruth, Online, you are Ruth. You are Ruth. Even you are Ruth. All of us are Ruth. All of us have a broken past. All of us have a past riddled with guilt and shame. And Jesus Christ, God, the creator of the universe, the Lord of the harvest, looked down and he said, I want you. He looked at the broken and he said, I want to bring the broken into my family. The Lord of the harvest wants you. And if you're here this morning and you never put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, I specifically want to invite you to come down after the service is over and and meet with me or someone on the prayer team to pray with you for salvation in Jesus Christ. Do not delay. Make that decision today. God wants you and me. Wow. It's amazing. As we look at our text, these women, they share this beautiful moment. Our scripture, right before the genealogy, it ends with these women. And they're just encouraging Naomi. 
God has not left you without a redeemer, Naomi, that, that your son shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. The Lord is blessing Naomi, and she's going to get to play this nurturing role in Obed. That's what, that's what the women name him, Obed. It means worshiper or servant of the Lord. Remember Naomi's kids earlier on in the story? Sickness and pining. Now they name him servant of God, worshiper. The same woman, right, who said, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. His hand has come upon me in a bitter, mighty way. God's brought me home empty. Oh, if only Naomi could have seen what God was going to do down the line. God has brought Naomi life. Our story ends with Naomi full of life, and we should learn a lesson from Naomi too. A lesson that God is providentially working for your good. In God's kindness, he's providentially working for your good, even in difficult circumstances. And I know, I know some of you, you're like, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see what God's doing. I don't even see signs that God is working here. You know, the narrator, I find this very, very interesting. The narrator never mentions God. Our characters do a few times, but the narrator never says, this is what God says, or this is what God's doing. There's just these signs, these little signs along the path, along the way, that God is indeed working for their good. Some of you, you're facing death, you're facing tragedy, you're facing heartache. I know, I know some of your stories here this morning, and I'm naming them. You're struggling to see God's provision, that God is really doing what he says he's going to do. But when it all seems so desperate, child of God, know that he is working for your good. He promises that he is working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose he is working for your joy. He's working for your joy. Man, I, I love just being able to intimately know our body, right? And know some of the, the, challenge and the challenges and stresses that you all are going through. And, and I just, I love the journey with you and, and walk through these things. That's what the body, of, our, the family of Christ is supposed to do, right? And life groups in these different ways, this gets lived out. It's not until oftentimes, I've said this, it's not until oftentimes much later that we can look back and see God's hand at work. I think that's a lot of the Christian life. And I think the book of Ruth is trying to show us that the Christian life, the Christian walk is not a straight path where you can see far away. It's not an interstate through Nebraska, but it's much more like a highway through the Blue Ridge Mountains of Tennessee and North Carolina. There's more than just cornfields. There, there, are, there are rocks, there's trees blocking the path. There are hills, there's ups and downs, there's fog and there's mist. And sometimes you just can't even see what's coming up next. But along the way, along the way, Fox Valley Church, there are, there are signs. Signs that God is at work. <laughs> he is providentially behind the scenes saying, hey, I got a plan for you, and it's good. Hey, I love you. The best is yet to come. Just keep trusting in me. Keep waiting on me. 
in the book of Ruth, for you and me this morning, it's one of those signs that's, that God is saying to you this morning, God, or I am faithful, I love you, and I have a plan for your life. And even if you don't see it, trust that my promises, they're not slow, right? I want all to come to repentance, all to be saved. That is the God we serve. And what's amazing to me is, is that the book of Ruth has been a sign for thousands of years. For thousands of years, the Israelites in the Old Testament would read the book of Ruth at Pentecost, being reminded of God's covenant faithfulness through the ages, of his goodness to the people, as they one day hoped and looked that a redeemer would come and rescue and save them. It's beautiful. Let's finish our our text by reading the genealogy. This is the end of Ruth, chapter 4, verses 18. Now, these are the generations of Perez, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amminadab, Amminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. The redemption of Christ, the blood of Christ, changes the family trajectory. God grabs the hold of a Gentile woman, Ruth. God grabs the hold, the, a hold of the heart of one person and thousands of destinies are changed. Boaz and Ruth have a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named King David. And 27 generations later, David has a son named Jesus Christ. God's hand is all over this. And we only get to see this small sneak peek of what God's doing. And a genealogy is a way that God can reveal the continuity of his plans and purposes throughout the ages to us. I want to close with this. Jesus Christ is a willing and able redeemer. He wants you, and he wants to bring you abundant blessing in your life. And as we read the book of Ruth, as you read scripture, as you go about offering your daily lives as a sacrifice to God, you are called God's Gentile bride. And guess what? Unlike the Israelites, we actually can look back to what God's done. We're we're not just hoping that God would send a redeemer one day. We know the work of Christ that's already happened on the cross. So what that means for you is if you are in a trial, if you are not trusting Jesus Christ, if you are struggling, point to the blood of Jesus. Point to and claim the blood of Jesus on the cross that's totally rewritten your history. It's totally changed your destiny, and we can walk in that confidence. And as my older brother in Christ, King David, said many, many years ago, therefore I know God is for me. Now that, that is a good word. Would you pray with me? Father, God, thank you that your scripture reveals your plans and purposes through the ages. Thank you that you step down off your throne to chase us. You leave the 99 to get the one. Father, you choose us. You want us. And the blood of Jesus is something we can all claim over our life this morning. We love you. We worship you enthusiastically, God. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen.